Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the important themes that we see arising in Ursula K. Le Guin's second Earthsea novel, The Tombs of Atawan, is that of making choices, choices that are determinative of who one is, what we could call fateful choices, those which place you on this trajectory or a different one. And the character who is most involved in doing these things in an explicit way is the young woman, Arha, who recovers her name, Tanar, and the question is, who is she going to be? What is she going to do? Now, the first one arises while they are still in the labyrinth, after they've gotten to a sort of crisis. She and Ged have been talking for a while. She's come into conflict with the other high priestess, Kossel, and thinks that Kossel may, in fact, try to do her in in one way or another. And she says, I don't know what to do. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of of the dark. And Ged answers her, you must make a choice. Either you must, so there's two different possibilities here, you must leave me, lock the door, go up to your altars and give me to your masters, then go to the priestess castle and make your peace with her. And that is the end of the story. Or you must unlock the door and go out of it with me. Leave the tombs, leave Atawan, come with me overseas. And that is the beginning of the story. You must be Arha or you must be Tenar. You cannot be both. And this has the classic framework of a dilemma, right? We have two horns. The die in the dilemma means two. You can do A or you can do B. You can't do both. And yeah, I mean, you could just do nothing whatsoever, but then, you know, she's going to die because of Castle. So these are the live options you could say. And we'll come back to this in just a moment. A little bit after this, in the beginning of chapter 10, after the ring of Aerith Akba has been fixed and it's put on her arm, she actually says, he says, I wish I had my staff. And she says, it's just outside the door. I brought it. Why did you bring it? He asked curiously. I thought of, and now we see a third option, taking you to the door and letting you go. And Ged says, that was a choice you didn't have. You could keep me a slave and be a slave or set me free and come free with me. Come, little one, take courage, turn the key. So she had a different third option in mind. And Ged is saying, that's not really an option. Now, notice how he's reinforced this. We have give Ged to the the unnamed ones, make him a sacrifice essentially, restore her old life. The story ends. She remains a slave to the unnamed ones, her masters, and to a way of life that she now sees as as deeply problematic. Or she can escape with Ged, not just from the tombs, but from Atawan, from the entire Kargish Isles and go overseas with him into what she knows as the inner lands, what we know as the archipelago of Earthsea. And one of these involves freedom. One of these involves servitude. One of these means going back to being Arha. The other one means becoming Tenar. It's, he says, be Tenar, but it's really a matter of becoming because she doesn't really know who Tenar is, does she? So she chooses to go with Ged. 
to embrace a future, a story that is just starting now. And then a little bit later in chapter 12, the very beginning of the chapter, she has to make another choice. Here, she feels that Ged has betrayed her, has tricked her, has made use of her. She says, where was he now? On what way of the spirit did he walk? She could never follow him. He had made her follow him. He had called her by her name and she had come crouching to his hand as a little wild desert rabbit had come to him out of the dark. Now that he had the ring, now the tombs were in ruin and their priestess forsworn forever. Now he didn't need her and went away where she could not follow. He would not stay with her. He had fooled her and would leave her desolate. So what we see her saying here, essentially to herself, is that she didn't really make a choice. He tricked her. He got her to come along with these promises. He, in fact, seduced her, not sexually, but we could say existentially. And she now feels a sense of resentment about that. And she has a dagger. This dagger is one of the things that was given to her. As we learn, she did dances with it. She's never used it for anything. And she takes the dagger and realizes that she could kill him on the spot. As a matter of fact, it says she would serve her masters still, though they had betrayed her and forsaken her. They would guide and drive her hand in the last act of darkness. They would accept the sacrifice. She turned upon the man, her knife held back in her right hand behind her hip as She did so. He raised his face slowly and looked at her. He had the look of one come from a long way off, one who has seen terrible things. His face was calm, but full of pain. As he gazed up to her and seemed to see her more and more clearly, his expression cleared. At last, he said, Tenar, as if in greeting, and reached up his hand to touch the band of pierced and carved silver on his wrist. Time we were going. At the sound of his voice, the fury left her. She was afraid. And what's going on here? So she is also making a choice, but it's a choice that you could say there are conditions within. Him not trying to defend himself, but merely reaching out to her in trust and touching the symbol of their trust, the ring of Aerith Akba helps to bring her out of this state. And as we see, he says, you'll leave them behind, Tenar, you're going free now. So she was wavering once again between sacrificing Ged to the masters who have also betrayed her, but this would restore some some meaning, some unity, some sense of familiarity to her life, right? Or do something more scary, trust Ged, who she thinks may betray her, who already perhaps has betrayed her, and leave the masters behind and go off into an unseen future. Immediately after that, they get the boat on rollers and take it down to the ocean to sail away. As they're on the waters, the third choice arises, the third fateful choice. Now, Tenar is becoming much more aware of the evil that she herself has done, becoming aware of it not just as things that happened or choices that had to be made in the spur of the moment or things that she did, but it was really the will of the masters, the nameless ones, the old powers of the earth. She has become aware of her own participation in evil. And she tells, this is after they bring the story to a close about the the ring and the two children who became old people on the island. And she says, I would ask you something. 
Ask, I do not wish to go to the inner lands to Havnor. I do not belong there in the great cities among foreign men. I do not belong to any land. I betrayed my own people. I have no people and I have done a very evil thing. Put me alone on an island as the king's children were left on a lone isle where there are no people, where there is no one. Leave me and take the ring to Havnor. It is yours, not mine. It has nothing to do with me, nor have your people. Let me be by myself. So she is making a choice, but she's articulating this choice with Ged because of course she can't get to an island by herself. So this makes it something that they can discuss, a choice that they can work through together. And he says, what evil have you done, Tenar? And she says, I order that three men be shut into a room beneath the throne and they starve to death. They died of hunger and thirst. They died and are buried there in the undertomb. The tombstones fell on their graves. And he asks, is there more? Manan, that death is on my soul, Ged says, because Ged struck Manan and he fell into the pit. And she says, no, he died because he loved me and was faithful. He thought he was protecting me. He held the sword above my neck. When I was little, he was kind to me when I cried. I was never kind to him. I will not go to Havnor. I will not go with you. Find some isle where no one comes and put me there and leave me. The evil must be paid for. I am not free. She is not free of the evil, but she is free to atone for the evil that she has done. So there is a choice to be made here. Ged helps her to remake this choice. How? By explaining to her the situation, a new interpretation of it, which can be chosen. He says to her, listen, Tanar, heed me. You were the vessel of evil. The evil is poured out. It is done. It is buried in its own tomb. You were never made for cruelty and darkness. You were made to hold light as a lamp burning holds and gives its light. I found the lamp unlit. I won't leave it on some desert island like a thing found and cast away. I'll take you to Havnor and say to the princes of Earthsea, look, in the place of darkness, I found the light, her spirit, by her an old evil was brought to nothing. By her, I was brought out of the grave. By her, the broken was made whole. And where there was hatred, there will be peace. And Tenar said, I will not in agony. I cannot. It is not true. So what we see here is Ged is, he's not just proffering an interpretation. He's saying, listen, this is the way it's got to be. And she is rejecting it. She's pushing it away. He adds something else to it, which helps to change her mind. He says, after that, I'll take you away from the princes and the rich lords. It's true. You have no place there. You are too young and too wise. I'll take you to my own land, to Gaunt, where I was born, to my old master, Ogian. He's an old man now, a very great mage, a man of quiet heart. He lives in a small house on the great cliffs of Ray Albi, high over the seas. I lived there once with him when I was younger than you are now. I didn't stay long. I hadn't the sense to stay. I went off seeking evil, and sure enough, I found it. But you come escaping evil, seeking freedom, seeking silence for a while until you find your own way. There you will find kindness and silence, Tanar. There the lamp will burn out of the wind a while. Will you do that? And she says, I will. Oh, I wish it were sooner that we could go there now. So Ged is changing the terms. You, you have to go to Havnor because we have to bring the ring. And this is for, you know, all the people of Earthsea. But you don't have to stay. You don't have to be a princess, gone from a priestess to a princess in a land where you don't know anybody. I will take you to my own homeland where I have a great friend who will shelter you and teach you and help you on the way. Even though I won't be there with 
with you because I have to go and do other wizardly things, you'll still be there. And he reminds her as well, all you have to do is call upon me and I will come. So he's telling her she's not been abandoned. That enables her to make once again the choice for life not for death, not for atonement, not for evil, not for retribution, but for an open future that is as yet undetermined, but one in which she can step, one in which she can grow. And this prepares the way for the other books yet to come, particularly the fourth and the sixth book in which Tenar is going to be an incredibly important central character. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.